0: Uh, Our verse comes from Exodus 2015, you shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, I just wanted to uh, echo quickly what what Ashley uh, had said, that... um, Two things. So first, uh, we do have. We, next week is the last week of our giving initiative, uh, and some of the uh, some of the things that we're, we're planning to do both around the church to improve our elementary space for our elementary students, and um, just to uh, provide a little bit of a cushion for us headed in uh, to 2019, uh, and hopefully pay down a little bit more on our mortgage. Those those are our main goals. But uh, our other goal that uh, became really apparent to me. Uh, having a conversation with my friend who is a pastor in Iowa City, Um, the amount of uh, young people without any form of a home that attend their church, and their church is called Resurrection Assembly, is amazing. And their children's pastor opens up her house every morning for breakfast for something like um, like 12 kids on the regular. Sometimes it's more than that. Five days a week. Imagine if five days a week, 12 kids who are about to head to school come over and demand pancakes from you. Uh, the reality is is that they need to care for a lot of those kids. And so what the, what they are doing is uh, trying to put together money to, to purchase what they call a resurrection house for a resurrection church, where they can, uh, where that uh, youth pastor and children's pastor and her husband can live there and basically foster kids. So um, it's a really uh, powerful thing that they're doing, and we really do want to partner with them. So that is uh, what a portion of what we give for our 2018 giving initiative will go to. So I just wanted to re-emphasize that since it became, uh, since I talked to those people this week. So, and, uh, and secondly, just uh, a reminder, we are uh, having Harvest Fest next week, and I'm going to be a Jedi, and you should be there. <laughs> All right. All right. So, few memories in my mind as a child bring back more guilt, more guilt, than when I was in a grocery store with my mother, and I got caught stealing, and I got caught Stealing. I was probably five or six years old, and on one of the shelves was an Archie shaving kit. Uh, That's it, if you can't see it. Uh, That's the Archie shaving kit. I was looking for pictures of the kit online, and I found this one, and a shiver went down my spine. (laughs) Because it brought the memory so, like, it was like, that's it, I did that. It was, it's just, a, as you can see, it's just a fake shaving kit. I must have been watching my dad shave a little bit more. And I saw it in the store. It was in a Cub Foods, if any of you guys remember Cub Foods in Des Moines. And uh, I wanted it. I wanted it. And I asked my mom, Mom, can I have that? And she obviously, like any good mother, said no. Uh, and so when she wasn't looking, I put it under my shirt. And uh, to my absolute astonishment, no one noticed. No one noticed. And so we purchased our groceries, and we walked out the front door, and I was thought, I'm free. I've made this. I've committed my first crime, and it was exhilarating. Uh, Until my mom went to help me get in the car, (laughs) and she realized that I had an Archie shaving kit tucked into the front of my pants. Uh, And she marched me back into the store, made me uh, apologize and give it back again like any good mother. Uh, And I just felt these intense waves of guilt, these intense waves of guilt. And that was, as far as I can remember, my first experience of ever wanting something, ever wanting something that was not mine to have and feeling empowered to make it mine feeling like i had it within my ability to actually go out and make it mine even though it wasn't mine by right and really this is the most basic this is the most basic example of stealing any of us can think of right You simply take something that doesn't belong to you. And we know it's this primal thing for children. If there's one thing that little kids fight about more than any other thing, it is taking things that don't belong to them. I have two children. I have watched this on the daily. There is something in us that wants what occasionally we cannot have and and wants what specifically other people have. And we take it. Don't we? We 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 take it. We see what it is, and we want to take it. You know, uh, this is an impulse that we find in most children taking what what uh, belongs to us, and this impulse to steal that's in pretty much all of us. Hopefully, is parented out of us as we go, right? Hopefully, by parents who teach us not to steal, or by a culture that tells us that it's not good to steal other people's stuff, because it's pretty clear it's pretty clear that in order to have a functioning society, in order to have the type of society that actually works, stealing is something that needs to be prohibited, right? And so you can't walk into a target and take what doesn't belong to you. You'll get arrested for that. And this has been the case in, for long swaths of human history. It's been recorded and codified in all kinds of different rules. In fact, in the year 1792 B.C., Hamrabi, who was an ancient Middle Eastern leader, uh, published a law code. It's called the Code of Hamrabi. And number 22 on his code is if anyone is committing a robbery and is caught, then he shall be put to death. He shall be put to death. Now, stealing was important for the establishment of an orderly society. It was then and it is now. But when God speaks to Israel and he says, You shall not steal. Don't take other people's stuff. He is establishing an orderly society. God is speaking to this people, Israel, trying to to help them understand what it is they should not be doing, how to construct a society that looks orderly, how to live in a place where they reflect the goodness and grace of God, how to live in a way that leads to flourishing. And so he says, don't steal because this will be a detriment to that. But... The truth of the matter is, when we think about stealing and when other, others of us think about the act of stealing, the, the primary thing that probably comes to mind is what came to mind when I stole the Archie shaving kit, right? It's just guilt. It's just guilt. And I don't know if that was just a, that childhood version of stealing, uh, that I felt that guilt because I... Uh, because of this internal moral compass. I don't know if I, that had been put in me by my parents. I don't know if I had had uh, a police officer come to my, come to my uh, kindergarten class and tell me uh, that stealing was bad, but I had it. And this is the type of stealing that we think of, right? Don't rob banks. Don't take something without paying for it. Don't grab your neighbor's TV. And we can read this commandment on the surface of it and just say, okay, don't do those things. And if I don't do those things, then I'm not guilty of breaking those commandments. But the, but the problem with that is, is that there's something else that motivates our stealing. It's not just desire, right? Desire is there. But the truth of the matter is that our, our, if, if one steals something, it is motivated by a heart that wants something that doesn't belong to us. Motivated by a heart. It's not just an action, it's also a desire. Or a heart that is unwilling to give to someone who deserves it, right? That's another form of stealing, this this impulse to hoard. You see, the heart is, is this thing that controls our actions, as we've been talking about in this Ten Commandments series. The heart is this thing that motivates so much of what we do, it is the well of our being. And if we don't get, to the, go, don't get to the center of why our hearts desire to do things like steal, we will never actually figure out how to become a people who not just don't go and take your neighbor's TV, right? But rather a people who have hearts that are free from that impulse. Because the scriptures tell us quite clearly that, to, that, that it is not just the, the choosing to not do an act is freedom, but rather that having a heart that is free of that impulse is true freedom and so looking at the scriptures and kind of trying to find out what what is it that motivates our hearts what why is it that we want to do this what what is it in the human heart that compels us to take what doesn't belong to us and we know that this is an uh, a misordered desire that there's something in our desire to take from others that is misordered that that in fact it is contrary to the teachings of scripture because it is fundamentally contrary to the example of Jesus in the scriptures. Because of all the things that the scriptures say about Jesus, the one thing that they are uniformly, uh, uniformly in agreement on is that Jesus was willing to lay it all down on behalf of, of humanity, right? In fact, the scriptures even assert that Jesus had the right to everything, That everything that that exists, he had the right to. Because as the Gospel of John says, he was the incarnate word. He was was the active agent in the creation of everything we see and everything we are. And yet that same God who was active in, in in the very act of creation did not take up his right to possess things. But rather laid down his life for other people. You see, this impulse to steal is... Uh, is antithetical to the example of Jesus. And so, if we want to be people who have hearts like Jesus, if we want to be people who are free, then we best get to the heart of what it, what is going on here when we have this impulse to steal. When we have this impulse to steal. And now, some of you might be sitting back in your chairs and saying, I haven't wanted to steal anything in a very long time. Every time I go to Hy-Vee, I only take what I pay for. And then... But you probably, are, if you're like me, you do go over to the free the free samples and you take like three extra of the free samples, and you're actually supposed to. Jim, I see it on your face. We can talk about it later. We can talk about it later. Or you go over to the to the bulk, uh, <laughs> the bulk almonds, and you just go. I just need to try these almonds to see if they're good, right? And. And we take three or four of them. But the, the reality is, is that we all have impulses in our hearts that lead us to stealing. And what I want to do this morning is to look at a couple examples of stealing in Scripture that might not be the kind of, I'm a member of the Ocean's 12, 13, 11, whatever of those movies, uh, and I'm going to rob a bank or steal from the Taj Mahal or whatever it is they do in those movies. Um, Because, because there are, there are places of our hearts that have this desire that works itself out in our lives that we are not always cognizant of, that we are not even always cognizant of. And there may be ways in which our lives, ways in which we have given ourselves over to this impulse to stealing that are not illegal, right, that are not prohibited by law, but don't lead to our flourishing. And so this morning, what I want to do is just to look at three examples in scripture of this. And walk through them with you in, tr- in order to hopefully elucidate a little bit what it is that we're all dealing with here. When we, re- when we hear this commandment, thou shalt not steal. Alright? Alright. So, our first example is out of the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis we see a story of two brothers who are struggling against one another. The older brother is named Esau and the younger brother is this guy named Jacob. Now, in most cultures, in most ancient cultures especially, but in most cultures today as well, the eldest child uh, has, the, particularly the eldest male child, receives most of the privileges of the family, and uh, they receive rewards and responsibilities simply because they are the eldest child, and as a firstborn son, I'd like to go on the record and say, I'm for it, right? I'm for it. <laughs> But we read in Deuteronomy 21, this is a passage from the book of Deuteronomy, that the eldest son was allowed a double portion of the inheritance from his father. And so the younger younger children would get things, right? Uh, But the eldest son got a double portion. But along with money and resources, the eldest son also got a kind of patriarchal authority as well. The eldest brother was considered the head of the household, and even when his younger siblings grew into adulthood, the firstborn son was the head of the family, the patriarch, the leader. It had some status to it, didn't it? Now, this struggle is made even more important in the Scriptures because Esau and Jacob are the sons of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. Now this might not mean anything to you, but if you read the scriptures, God had promised to bless and prosper Abraham's family. God plucked Abraham out of all the peoples of the earth and said, "That guy, that guy's getting blessed." And so if you were that guy's grandchild, if you were the eldest son in the line of Abraham, you had quite the privileged position, didn't you? You were you were the central patriarch in the line of a family that God was going to specially bless. There was a lot on the line here. And Esau, as the eldest son, was in the line, and Jacob was not. But Jacob wanted to be in the line, right? He wanted what his brother had. And so we read the story. You can go back and read it later if you'd like. In Genesis chapters 25 through 27, all the ways that Jacob attempted to steal Esau's birthright and his blessing. Something that with the help of his mom, because once again, read the Bible, everybody's super jacked up, because uh, his mom loved Jacob more, right? Uh, they eventually were able to do this. Jacob first tricked Esau, uh, into giving him his birthright, the double portion of the, his, the financial resources, by uh, catching Esau in a vulnerable moment when he was coming back from hunting and he was hungry and he made him food. And he basically said, if, uh, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you some food. Now, this might have been, this didn't look great on Esau. He could have just like made his own lunch, but uh, he still tricked him. And later, he tricked his blind father into giving him the patriarchal blessing when his father, uh, on his deathbed, asked for Esau to come in, and Jacob kind of slithers into his father's tent and claims to be Esau and gets that patriarchal blessing. Some devious stuff, isn't it? And it works. It act- and here's the thing. It, it works. Jacob gets both the birthright and the blessing. And when the Bible lists the great patriarchs, it lists, and if you've read the Bible, you know this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So stealing pays off, right? The moral of this story is steal whatever you want because it will usually work. No, it does not. Because if you read the story a little bit further, Jacob suffers greatly for many years because of his sin. And he has to flee for, uh, for his life numerous times and is basically in indentured servitude for many years, all because he is running because of this thing that he did. But eventually, Jacob acknowledges his sin. He acknowledges what he did. He repents, and he actually attempts to make amends with his brother by making restitution by making restitution. We read in Genesis 32, Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother. Jacob got a little rich through this process too. He gave Esau 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. That's a yacht. That's a lot of money. I almost said that's a yacht's in money, which is the way my brother just the way my son says it. Anyway, skip down to verse 17. I gotta stop. I gotta stop impersonating my son in public. Um, skip down to verse 17. It says, and he gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, Whose servants are you? Where what are you do- uh, what are you doing? Who owes these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob. But they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. So what we have here is a story in this story, is an example of stealing outright, But what we really have is an example of stealing for the, for the sake of personal advancement. We have a story of stealing for the sake of personal advancement. And most often, this form of thievery takes the form, when we see it externally, takes the form of ambition. Ambition. We want to see. Uh, we want to. We want to be seen as important or powerful, and we want, or we want more money than we have. We want to attain something, and so seeing, uh, seeing what other people have, and believing that we need it, or or we need it more than they need it, or we deserve it more than they deserve it. We do things in our lives. We we uh, we. We stack the cards in our deck in such a way as that our ambition would lead to someone else's failure. Does this make sense? We want to be seen as the good student on the group project, right? And so we stack the cards in our favor. We think that the other people around us at our work don't deserve their recognition. They don't deserve their position. They, they didn't earn it the same way I was going to earn it. And so we do things. We shade things in our daily life to make sure that we get a little bit of more of the shine than they do, right? Whenever uh, I reprimand one of my kids for a type of behavior that I don't want them doing, my other child will always pipe up immediately and say, Well, I'm not leaving wet apple cores on the couch, right? And they do this because they want to be seen as the good child. They want to take uh, that opportunity to advance themselves in my eyes, right? This impulse to steal really comes from a belief that we have deep down in our hearts that there is not enough to go around. There's not enough to go around. There is a scarcity of love. There is a scarcity of good jobs. There is a scarcity of important or meaningful lives out there. And so in order for my life to have value, in order for me to have worth, in order for me to have a significant enough bank account, what I need to do is go and take from others to ensure that my realm or my authority is established, right? That my safety, my security is what it needs to be. And the truth of the matter is that this is a lie. It's simply not true. We learn from the scriptures that God gives to each person and what God has given to each of us, talents, gifts and abilities, capabilities and positions. He has given to us in order that he might accomplish his will through us. And to look to another and to try to take from them as a way of saying, is kind of a way of saying, I don't like what God has given me. I don't trust that there is enough love, that there is enough resource, that there is enough importance out there to go around, but that's not true. What God has given each of us is a treasure, a gift, a gift, and God wants us to cultivate the gifts of God that he has given to us in order that he can promote us, so that he, so that he can use us. Jacob wanted a better life right now, right? Right? He was willing to do whatever it took to get it and run over anyone who stood in his way, even his own brother. Jacob, he was not willing to work diligently. He was not willing to leverage the gifts that God had given him, the position that God had given him, and to see what God would do with that. God has given you gifts and abilities and a life that only you can live, only you can live it. And when you pursue what someone else has been given in in an attempt to take from them in order to add to yourself, what you're really doing is short-circuiting the plan of God in your life. We are called in some real and true sense to be people who see what God has given us as a gift and to lean into that. And every time we have this impulse to gain what someone else has and add it to ourselves, whatever that is, we are taking away from the thing that God has for us. Your life is a gift. And every time you try to steal from another to add to yourselves, every time we try to steal from another to add to our own worth, our own significance, our own value, our own job, we take away from what God wants to do in and through us. So that's one. That's the first example. The second example we'll call stolen wages, stolen wages. How much time do we got? Oh, we got a huss. So there's this really interesting story in the gospel of Matthew, uh, and Matthew does a really great uh, job of telling it. In Matthew 21, he tells the story about Jesus cleansing the temple. Is anybody familiar with this story? You can raise your hand. That that way I know how far, how deep to go into it. This story in Matthew 21, Jesus cleanses the temple. It says this, beginning in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Uh, It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, this story is really, really interesting Because we don't totally know what's going on here when we read it, do we? We don't. We don't know exactly what Jesus is doing. Uh, Why is he driving out money changers and and lenders from the temple court? Are they supposed to be there? Is is what they're doing good? And the truth of the matter is, we learn from history that there was a lot of tension in and around the temple. There's a lot of tension in around the, the temple, and these money changers and lenders were actually doing, to, in, in their day, what a kind of credit card company would do in our day. They were, keep, they were, they were get, allowing people to have, <clears throat> excuse me, they were allowing people to worship God, but they were taking credit in order to do it. They're taking credit in order to do it. We learned this uh, in, in the first century. There's a there's an ancient historian, a Jewish historian, a guy named Josephus, who tells a story about how in AD 66, so like 30 years after Jesus, there was a kind of rebellion, uh, the Jewish people rebelled against the temple, and they went into the temple, and the first thing they did when they took control of the temple was, was burn all the records of debt, was burn all the records of debt. It would be like you going to Chase Bank, and like, I'm going to burn it all down, right, to try and relieve the debt that is hanging over all of us, which, you know has been done in a movie. But, uh, but this is what they were doing. There was, they did not have good feelings about this temple because the temple was taking advantage of people financially. The temple was stealing from people financially. And Jesus was not okay with this either. And so he drove out the money changers and the lenders as a way of saying taking advantage of people financially is not what God is about. It's not what God was about. God cares about justice And the the fair treatment of people economically. Do you ever think about that? That God actually cares about that people be treated fairly economically? And Jesus casting out the money changers tells us that this is something he cared about. This is something he cared about. We read uh, read the same idea in the book of James. In the book of James, uh, James says this in uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Okay, whoa. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. The word there in Greek is pudor. It means rust or fire, right? Your gold and silver are corrupted. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And anybody in this room who has mowed the church's lawn and feel like I have not paid you enough, come talk to me after church. The cries of the harvesters... I'm looking at you, John and Matt, who's not in here. Um, The cries of the harvesters have have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Uh, Okay, James, thank you for that. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? So what this tells me is that Christians should be people who both pay people their proper wage and advocate for those who are not being properly compensated because God cares about it. And when we advocate for people not be receiving what 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 they are due, we can be sure that God is not aligned with that impulse. That God is not aligned with that impulse. You know, there are more advanced forms of this, right? Like overpricing goods, using false weights and measures, not paying the poor their due, and withholding compensation. Subjects that, uh, and these are things that bring judgment on a community. These are things that bring judgment on a community. They brought judgment on the Old Testament, and they, brought, and they, and they bring judgment on communities. God cares that people are treated well, and that their that resources, that, that, that what is their due is not withheld from them. It's not withheld from them. And there's a lot here that I can't go into because we don't have time, but we're going to leave it right there, and we're going to move on to the next one. Is that okay? All right. So our third one is stolen honor. Stolen honor. There's examples of stolen honor in the scriptures. Shakespeare said this: He who steals my purse steals trash, but he that filches my good name makes me poor indeed. Filch. That's a good one, right? Stolen honor. In Romans 13, verses 6 through 7, it says this: There is also uh, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone uh, what you owe them. This is, so we could have used that passage on our previous one. Uh, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And I just want us to focus on this last little part. If honor, then honor. Now, that thing does say you can't avoid paying your taxes, so we can talk about that later. Um, everybody's super mad now. Uh, there's a lot there, I know. I know there's a ton there. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying here, give to people honor, give, give people the honor that they're due. But, but what does that mean? How many times, how many times in our lives do we ever, uh, do we attempt to make ourselves look better or, simple, or simply to speak uh, poorly of another person? in order to steal their honor, in order to steal their honor. How often do we steal a person's good name by the way we speak about them, by the way we speak about them? Someone else is doing well and succeeding, so we feel the need to take them down a peg, right? Not to get a big head. This is what uh, J.I. Packer, the theologian J.I. Packer, says. He says, it is theft to steal a reputation, destroying someone's credit by malicious gossip behind their back. When you speak negatively about people behind their back, you are robbing them of something that does not belong to you, something that does not belong to you. And I know in my heart when I read this, I go, uh, he's a jerk, right? He's a jerk and everyone should know it. And I take, I see myself as the arbiter of who all of the jerks in the world are, right? Right? And then I need to communicate to that to everyone, right? This is what we, this is how we think. I'm just protecting people because that person's horrible, right? Now I know that there are ways in which there there are there are people in this world who are so um, twisted that it's important that we uh, steer people away from them. And there's wisdom in that, right? But I'm not talking about those situations. I'm not talking about horribly toxic and. Un- people. I am talking about the people you and I interact with every day. Right? It is not our job to steal someone's reputation. Or it's not our job to steal somebody's ability to represent themselves to other people for, of who they really are. We are to give all people honor and allow them the ability or the lack of ability to make their own name, to make their own reputation. Right, uh, And in the same way, it is not our job to be the arbiters of who is or is not worthy. Who is or is not worthy of honor. Who is, not, who is or is not worthy of a good reputation. Right? Uh, believe me, I can, I can do a, a fine job besmirching my own name on my own. <laughs> Thank you very much, right? I don't need anybody's help. This is what it says in Philippians 2. Uh, that the, the, that we are not to live out of selfish ambition, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. Or, do, or a desire to make ourselves look good. But rather, in humility, are supposed to consider others better than ourselves. This is what we read in Philippians 2. We are called to build one another up. Not, uh, not to lie to people about a person, or not to even, sometimes, not to tell our truth. Not all the time. But rather to cultivate love for them. To cultivate love for people. And for me, you know where the greatest temptation of this is? For this, this little uh, example. The greatest temptation is not out in public. The greatest temptation is when I walk through the doors of my house. Right? And I'm in my living room. And I'm like, Ashley, you got to hear what so-and-so did to me, right? Th- this is the example. And so in my own heart and in my own mind, I go through all of these examples of why this person is not a good person, right? And then I put that on my wife, right, who's not allowed to have uh, an actual opinion, right, of her own about some, somebody. But rather, uh, th- she's actually kind of saddled with this thing. The truth of the matter is, if I, if I walk through my life believing that I am the ultimate arbiter of someone's goodness or badness, their worthiness or unworthiness, if, if I don't, uh, in both my actions and in my thoughts, give people the honor that they are naturally due as a human being created in the image of God, then I am, in some real and true sense, stealing from them. I am stealing from them something that is not mine to steal. That is not mine to steal simply not we are not to tear others down to build up our own ego we are not to take from others the honor that they are due simply because we had a bad experience I've seen this happen on social media a lot and it happens not just with people but also with, uh, with like companies I've, I've, I've had friends who have like had a bad have had a bad uh, customer service experience at let's say the place where they get their oil changed and they go on facebook and they put them on blast nobody go to jim's auto repair because jim's horrible and he made me pay for for my oil change right it's not your job it's not your job to tell everybody in the community that jim's a shyster right he might not be you don't know your job, it's your job to ascribe honor where honor's due. You don't have to go back to gym and get another oil change. And if one of your friends says, I'm going to go to gym and you really feel as though you were taken advantage of, you kindly go, I'm sure Jim is a great guy. I may not have had a great experience there, but you might. Right? Who knows? Who knows? It's not our responsibility to steal from people there are It's simply not. And so, These are three examples, I think, of ways in which we steal that we're not always cognizant of, that we're not always cognizant of. So what do we do? What do we do if we've stolen? What do we do if we've taken from somebody? And I'll wrap up quickly here, but what do we do? Do we just stop doing it? Do we just stop stealing and then move on? Actually, the Bible says there's some further steps to take here. In order to rectify the kind of that we all have in our heart. The thing we need to do, and the Bible makes this clear, is to repent first, to change, and then actually to make restitution. To make restitution. You know, in uh, there's a story that Adam Longridge tells uh, of the 1922 Belfast revivals. It was a uh, it was a time when. Uh, Many people in Northern Ireland, Ireland were coming to faith. And he says this, The restitution of stolen property was another feature of this work of grace. Many of the workers at the Harland and Wolf shipyard at that time, one of the largest in Europe, had come under the influence of the gospel. A special um, And a special depot was set up to deal with the large quantity of stolen goods that were returned by the workmen who had been converted. <laughs> right? There's this thing that we need to do to make restitution. Are any of you familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? This is a little the wee little man that climbed a tree. He was a moneylender, and he had stolen a lot from the people. And he invites Jesus to his house, and and, and uh, he he throws a party for Jesus essentially. And Zacchaeus publicly repents. And do you know what he says? He says, "I will I will make restitution. I will pay back to everyone four times what I took from them." And Jesus says, and after he said that, it wasn't until he said, I'm going to make restitution, and he said it publicly that Jesus says to Zacchaeus, said, to this day salvation has come to this house. This day. When you're willing to make restitution. So the question is, how do we make restitution for the things we've stolen? I'm going to the, to the now defunct cup of foods, and I'm, no, I, are, I, I made restitution. I returned to the shaving kit. For goodness sakes, get off my back. there is a way that we can make restitution there is there is if you have stolen from someone their good name you need to apologize and you need to make restitution I'm serious because your heart will be transformed in that moment and you can say okay I'm not going to talk bad about Sally Joe anymore but when you go to Sally Joe, you say I'm sorry spoken ill of you, you am not going to do it anymore, and you make restitution in that moment, I promise you, your heart will be transformed. If you repay the person that you have, if you have not paid someone what, what they were due and have instead kept more for yourself, if you actually go to that person and make restitution, do you know what, what will happen? Your heart will be transformed. As we pray, I just want to—I uh, just want us to take one moment and pray. What have you stolen? What have you taken that was not yours? And how can you make restitution? This is our application this morning. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we ask that you would be here with us this morning. And we pray that you would convict us right now, that you would convict us, and you would show us those areas where where our hearts have been misaligned. We have taken that which does not belong to us. Maybe it's somebody's good name. Maybe it's a way we have we have shaded in a, in a relationship to make sure that we get all of the praise and somebody else doesn't. Maybe we've literally stolen something and we need to make restitution. Would you convict us of that? And would you give us the courage by, via your spirit to go and make restitution, to both change and to make restitution? To both change and to make restitution pray all of this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. So there there might be conversations you need to have if you want to be free. It's just the truth. So go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks.